rapid fire. Let's draft an all-time starting rotation. Ooh, okay. I will take Clayton Kershaw. Let me go Randy Johnson and Roger Clemens. That's good. Pedro Martinez and Jacob deGrom. Greg Maddox and Max Scherzer. Oh, that's good. Do I get two more or one more? You get two more. Two more. Let's go Sandy Koufax. We'll go way old there. And I'll go Tom Glavin. Let me go with Nolan Ryan, my dad's all-time favorite. All right. That sounds like a pretty fearsome rotation for both of us. I don't think you'd go wrong with either one. But if you do have a favorite, Slump Busters, drop below in the comments who had the better pitching rotation, myself or Kyle. Or, of course, you can leave it in a five five-star review on Apple iTunes. Without further ado, it's time for your random sports fact of the week. Wow, did you know that? Now live on the Slump Buster Podcast, random sports fact of the week. Those who study baseball even a little bit might be familiar with the name. Abner Doubleday. Doubleday was a former Union general in the Civil War that is often credited with the invention of baseball. The story goes that he created the game in 1839 in Cooperstown, New York. False. Most of the evidence that Doubleday created baseball is based around a letter from a man, Abner Graves. Graves stated Doubleday introduced the game to him and a group of six-year-olds out of the blue by simply saying, hey, kids, I invented a game. Logistically, Doubleday would have been at West Point and over 100 miles away, AWOL, for this to happen. In reality, baseball's origins can be best traced to a game called Rounders out of England and, of course, cricket. In 1845, Alexander Joy Cartwright would create the rules that best resemble modern baseball, credit him for why we're not throwing balls directly at players for outs. Now we only do that if they pimp a moonshot and bat flip. The Slump Buster Podcast. The Slump Buster Podcast. The first quarter starts now. MLB opening day is tomorrow or today or maybe yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this. Time is a flat circle after all, and it is a podcast, so you choose the time. Regardless, before the first pitch, time to plant our flag in the ground, Kyle, and give our predictions for each division in Major League Baseball. Where should we start? The East? The West? Should we go East? Yes, I'm ready to plant our flag like it's Baker Mayfield at the center of the Ohio State field. Anything to avoid the American League Central, because I always want to put this out there. I think that the American League Central should disband and every single team should go to a different division. Let's start out in the East. That would be my uh, guess there. Okay, okay. The AL East is probably going to be the most fun division to talk about. Okay, I'll give you my prediction here. Not the Orioles. I can guarantee that one. That's pretty much the main thing I can guarantee from the American League East that it won't be the Orioles winning this division. Last year, the Red Sox kind of surprised me. I I didn't expect them to make the run that they did eventually American League Championship Series. Outstanding hitting. Uh, Their pitching, again, is a question mark. Heard that they might have some prospects coming up that might fix that, but I I just don't see them making a drastic change. Chris Sales hurt again, so I think they're going to struggle in that capacity once again. Similarly to your favorite team, the New York Yankees, who always have that back of the rotation issue but I mean certainly they don't have a lineup issue the Yankees have a great phenomenal lineup they've gotten better they're still dealing with lingering questions on what happens Aaron Judge but that doesn't affect them here in 2022 so long as Judge and Stan and stay healthy as long as Judge and Stan stay healthy these guys are going to rake and that's going to propel the Yankees the Rays I mean the Rays just keep getting it done right the Rays are the Rays yeah they're they're just the Rays Rays. are the unexplainable analytics masters that just have worked this thing down to science despite having one of Bay baseball's lowest payrolls and then you look at the blue jays fringe 
close playoff team last year, making some more additions this year, trying to get into that race, trying to raise one up for Canada, you know, for the first time since the 90s. Vladimir Guerrero, obviously the second place in the American League MVP race last year. It's really tough between these four teams. It is really tough. I'm going with the Yankees. They were my World Series pick last year. Let me down. They've been letting down their fans for the last decade, but I am sticking with the New York Yankees. I think the Rays are going to fall off a little bit. We saw little pieces that they might have fallen off last year. Their rotation wasn't nearly as good. The Red Sox seem like a bit of an aberration to me, and I just don't know how good the Blue Jays are really going to be compared to the Yankees. So I'm going with the Yankees. So this is interesting because I could make the argument four of the five best teams in the American League come from this division, but they all have to play each other 72 times. The way I think of it is three teams are going to make the playoffs, especially now that there's six teams that make the playoffs in the American League. Most likely three teams are going to make the playoffs unless one team has like a collapse at the end and is one game different than someone else. Like one game just missed the playoffs. There should be three teams that make the playoffs from this division. One of them we assume is going to get hurt and that's probably going to be the thing that kind of like falls off is like the most likely scenario. I'm not saying that's a guarantee. The most likely scenario is one of the teams suffers a whole a host of injuries where 17 to 25% of their roster goes on the, the IL and they can't really keep pace with everyone else. And then it's just a matter of they were injured for two months. They lost a whole lot of games and they just can't make up the ground. And if I had to pick a team between those two that that's going to happen to, my guess would be either the Red Sox or the Rays, but the Rays are inexplicably always very, very good. And they have Wander Franco essentially entering their organization. Now the Yankees one is interesting because the thing I've said consistently about the Yankees is David Sampson has a great point on his podcast, nothing personal that the difference between big market and small market teams is that small market teams can't make mistakes and big market teams. For example, the year the Red Sox won the world series in 2018, they just straight cut Hanley Ramirez and cut Pablo Sandoval. That's $47 million in contracts that they could just cut and still win a World Series. And so the Yankees play that same game, and yet they've signed so many giant contracts that it's really starting to hurt them a little bit. LeMahieu was a bad contract. Hicks was a bad contract. Stanton is a very, very good player and making a ridiculous amount of money. Garrett Cole, same situation. Very, very good. Getting paid to be very, very good and great. So the Yankees are in this weird purgatory where in 2019 and 2018, their strength was being like 10 deep in their batting order. And now they're only like six deep in their batting order. The six is still really, really good and it should be good enough to get them into the playoffs. It's just if they do suffer a whole host of injuries, they could be the team that falls lower. But again, I'm tempted to pick the Yankees. I'm tempted to pick the Blue Jays, but it's probably just going to be the Rays because the Rays are stupid and they're going to trade Austin Meadows for like a shortstop and a draft pick and then they're just miraculously going to get better even though Tampa Bay doesn't always get trades right. We just assume they're doing things smarter than everyone else. But I don't believe in Tampa. I look at that team and I don't understand how they're, you know, the number one seed in the American League last year. And I just don't, I don't get it. I can't explain Tampa. It just, it happens. And Toronto's really, really deep. And their pitching staff is really in trouble once they get into the playoffs. But the the thing that they did add over the offseason is innings eaters. That helps 
Toronto just a little bit to have innings eaters, Gosman and Ryu and Kikuchi and Jose Barrios, all number two or number three starters. They don't have a true number one, but they do have at least innings eaters to get them through the regular season. And they might have the best lineup non-Dodgers in all of Major League Baseball. So Toronto right up there as well. They're going to be better this year. I'm going with the Yanks. Kyle is going with the Rays. Let's move on to the National League East. Kyle, I'm going to let you start this one off. Where are you going? So it's going to be either the Braves or the Mets. I just don't know what to do with the Mets. The Mets are just, we assume they're going to lose, right? But if you spend enough money, eventually you're going to put together a good team. Like the Dodgers basically bought a 100 win team just by spending money over and over and over again. And the Mets should be really, really good. They're just never really, really good. So I'm going to go with the Braves. I don't even believe in the Braves that much because all of those pieces were acquired at the trade deadline last year to win the World Series. Like I'm still a amazed that they just rebuilt their entire offense at the trade deadline. And then just because all of the Dodgers happened to get hurt in the playoffs, they made it to the World Series and had a really, really good World Series against the Astros. And so I don't even believe in Atlanta. And yet there's just nothing to stop them there. The Marlins are at least trying. I give the Marlins that they're at least trying to be good. Washington is also at least like bare minimum, not trying to be the worst team in baseball. So that's at least a step. And the Phillies, Phillies are spending a lot of money. I don't think their offense is like, I know people are talking about how crazy it is with Schwarber and Castellanos and Harper and Reese Hoskins. And like, they're putting them in the orders of best lineups in baseball. I just don't think it's that good. It's good. It's just, it's not that good. And their pitching staff is, is meh. Their bullpen is always terrible, even though maybe they fixed it now. So not the Phillies, not the Marlins, not the Nationals is the best I can say. I'll take the Braves just because this might be recency bias just because Scherzer and and DeGrom are now out for you know somewhat extended periods of time and they might succumb to the same injury thing that we were just talking about in the AL East. I'm looking at the three teams at the top and I actually do lump the Phillies into the three teams at the top. I rule out the Marlins just because they need to get more hitting. Their pitching is going to be sick, but they need to get a little bit more hitting before they're going to be able to do anything. A little bit of dysfunction in the organization, obviously with the departure of Derek Jeter. The Nationals, they're in a rebuilding phase, so they're not going to be competing for anything unless they just shock the world again like they did in 2019. So it comes down to the Braves, last year's World Series champion. It comes down to the Mets who are spending money and truckloads backing up the Brinks truck or the Phillies who are also spending money, but have underperformed ever since signing Bryce Harper, which was supposed to be their big money free agent deal. And obviously it's paid off in a small way for them getting the MVP last year. I think I'm going to go with the Phillies. And here's why that eventually you would just think that it has to pay off for them at some point, getting all these guys in there, getting that death lineup. Now their rotation concerns me. And the rotation is the strongest point for the Mets because obviously you get a rotational head by DeGrom and Max Scherzer, two guys that we literally drafted in our all-time fantasy draft just a second ago. But the problem is DeGrom is dealing with apparently a setback. Who knows if he's going to stay healthy all year? Max Scherzer signing a big contract, age 36, 37. He's up there in years. So it's already starting to feel like it's falling apart in New York. It already seems like the money is starting to go to waste. Who knows? Starling 
Charlie Marte, again, another older player who signed a big contract with them. Is he going to maintain his top 10 MVP level production again this year? Is that going to be another thing that happens for him? Is he going to justify being at that level of contract that the Mets paid him? There's reasons to doubt the Mets. You bring up a great point. There's just reasons to doubt the Mets. Um, And I don't know why I'm doubting the Braves, to be honest. I mean, Alex Anthopoulos truly has proved that he's one of the best general managers in baseball with, like you said, how he's able to rebuild the plane in the sky last year with the Braves World Series run. Gang bats just filled in perfectly in the order. They got Ronald Acuna back this year. And can Matt Olson truly replace the production that they got from Freddie Freeman? I think they're going to miss something from a leadership aspect. I think losing Freddie Freeman is not going to be a nothing move, not just in terms of his lineup production, but just in terms of his clubhouse presence. I can see things starting to spiral a little bit without that guy in the locker room. I'm going with the Phillies. I think I'm going to go with someone a little bit different. You know, baseball has enough parity in it to where I could see uh, someone rising in the NL East. Let's go to the NL Central. The Cubbies, the Pirates, the Cardinals, the Brewers. Reds, the shitty Reds. Reds. Ah, the shitty Reds. Yes, yes. Hmm. The Pirates are going to be awful. So we all know that. So Pirates, instant dismiss. Don't have to worry about them being relevant this year. The Cubs seem to be getting a little bit more vocal, I've noticed on Twitter, saying that this could be a year in which they make a little bit of a comeback. Obviously, they traded everyone last year's deadline. So that was kind of them raising the white flag on last year's season and certainly that era of Cubs baseball that we knew during their World Series run. The Reds, so they were fighting for a wild card spot last year. They're trading away all their guys. Yeah, they lost the, Reds, the Reds um, sold this offseason. Yeah, they lost Castellanos. Uh, Jesse Winker's gone. So yeah, I guess the Reds are in trouble. So yeah, the Reds probably closer to the Pirates. But the they Cardinals, will get Hunter Green coming up though. Yeah. And Hunter Green was on the cover of Sports. Sports Illustrated in high school. The Cardinals are just one of these organizations I I just have a hard time ever really doubting. Every year, they just bring up someone new that comes out of left field, literally may come out of left field, uh, second base, third base. They just find a guy like a Matt Carpenter ends up becoming an all-star under them. They have elite organization when it comes to getting the most out of players. And then the Brewers last year's uh, champion in the NL Central, they had the best rotation. That's where it comes down to for me. The Brewers just have a sick rotation at the top. And then you talk about Hader coming out of the bullpen. Again, going back to last year's postseason, season uh still thinking about the fact that freddie freeman took him deep uh, just something that just absolutely never happens uh it happened hopefully that doesn't spiral hopefully it's not like one of those closer moments where we see them get taken deep in one postseason and then never quite right again uh the big question for them is just going to be can christian yelich make a comeback man uh he's has not been close to that mvp production that we saw from a few years back of course he has that back injury or had that back injury that slowed him down but his power production was the biggest thing that took a hit like he he's not a power hitter anymore i think he had what nine home runs last year less than 10 kind of like a glaber torres in the national league if they could get christian yelich right and he could support the middle of of their lineup, then the Brewers should be able to easily win this division again next year with their rotation. And I, I think I'm going to stick with them. Again, you talk about the guys at the top, like Woodruff, uh, Burns. Love those guys. They're, they're sick. They have phenomenal stuff. But um, I think the Cardinals are a little closer to them this year. 
So similar to what you talked about, there are two bad teams. They're the Cubs, who are going to be fine. There's only about five good teams in the National League, so someone's got to get that sixth playoff spot in, the, in that in that National League race. It's probably not going to be the Cubs, but that's okay. The Cardinals are... The joke I've been making for like six years for the Cardinals is that the Cardinals are always just an 88-win team on paper. They're always going to be 88 wins on paper. If the division is easy, they'll win the division. If the division is difficult, they'll finish second in the division. They'll end up in the wild card. That's pretty much been the Cardinals for years now. The one time they did beat the Braves in the CS with that um, that winner go home game five, where I believe they scored 10 runs in the first inning against the Atlanta Braves and made it to the NLCS. People don't even remember they made the NLCS that year because they got swept by the uh, Washington Nationals, I believe had one hit in 14 innings of baseball. And so they immediately went out and traded for Nolan Arenado. So I'm going to go with the Cardinals and I'm going to go with the Cardinals because I just believe in the consistency of the Cardinals and Brewers are good. I didn't believe it. I mean, I thought the Brewers would beat the Braves in the first round last year, but I wasn't necessarily the biggest Brewers fan in the world. It's just that someone had to get the second seed in the in the National League. So yeah, I, I just the Cardinals are still doing with injuries two in their rotation. Uh, Adam Wainwright, just how much more production can you get out of the guy? I mean, he was yeah. a true ace yeah. in that wild card game or the playing game, but how long can he really keep going with that big ass curveball, that 12-6 well, curveball? Well, the Cardinals, the Cardinals hopefully have an ace. It's Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty is amazing at pitching. He just is the problem when you throw 101 miles an hour is you constantly have elbow inflammation and he's going to have to get Tommy John at some point, which is obviously a concern. But Jack Flaherty is an awesome number one starter. They also apparently have Steven Matz now. So that's fine. That's better than the Cubs third starter, which is according to ESPN, Ooh. Drew Ooh. Smiley. They also have Albert Pujols back. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, that'll, so that'll be a that's fun. worth, right? You know, no, for now, for now, they have Albert Pujols back until he'll, he'll give oh, you gosh. a couple they, pinch hit experiences. They have a team that consists of Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright and Albert Pujols. Talk about yeah, going it's, deep into the childhood there. It's incredible, right? They're just the same team from when from 15 years ago. They just their version of talent now is is Paul Goldschmidt, who is one of the most underrated players. Bring ever. back TLR. Bring him back. <laughs> we'll talk to How we'll stupid talk is him. that? In 2022, you have Adam Wainwright, Albert Pujols, and Yadier Molina possibly on a playoff team for the Cardinals, and Tony Larusa is going to be an MLB manager. How stupid is all of this? Anyway. Anyways, I'm going to take the Cardinals. It's a toss up between them and the Brewers. Both are probably going to make the playoffs. The Cardinals are basically the exact same team as last year. And that was almost good enough to win a one game winner go home against the Dodgers. Cardinals are like the fourth or fifth best team in the National League. And that's what they've been for the last six years. Yeah, just a model of consistency. Again, I was close to picking them, but I, I just like the rotation for the Brewers. I think that that's going to be enough to get them over. Okay, let's let's get into the fun part. Let's talk about the AL Central as much as we can talk about the AL Central. We have a couple tanking teams, or well, not necessarily tanking. I, I guess that's disrespect for the Royals. The Guardians truly are tanking. So I don't care if you call them the Indians. I don't care if you call them the Guardians. I don't care if you just call them Cleveland. You can call them trash, because that's what they are this year. They are literally a model of trash, uh, aside from Jose Ramirez. So we'll see if Jose Ramirez is even a Guardian by August 3rd, because August No, 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 because no, we have... Breaking news.
As of this morning, according to Jeff Passan, Jose Ramirez has signed a five-year, $125 million extension with the Cleveland Guardians. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I guess my man just loves the land. So you And go, $125 Jose million dollars into his mid-30s, because people forget Jose Ramirez is like 30 years old. We're, we're seeing these uh, long-term contracts sign in weird places this offseason, aren't we? But hey, whatever you value, if you value purely the money, maybe he really does like Cleveland. Cleveland. I, I know <laughs> at work, uh, we, we just ran, we just talked about all these billboards around Austin saying move to Ohio, uh, talk to some Austin residents. They didn't seem too enthused about it. They gave the Joe Kim Noah answer, Cleveland, your vacation in Cleveland, you like it there? <laughs> no offense, Drew. Drew, if you're watching this, no offense, Cleveland, really? Okay, Jose Ramirez, whatever floats your boat, but your team's not going to be good this year. Your team is probably going to win maybe 60 games, whatever. doesn't matter. <laughs> Royals, no offense. Pitching's I not will good say enough. one yeah, thing yeah. before we move on from the Royals, because I don't want to talk about them ever again this season after this segment. The Royals are just such a fun team because they're just all names that give me nostalgia from like five years ago. So for example, Michael A. Taylor, remember him? He was a World Series hero for Washington. He's now a Royal. Hadn't heard from him in three years. He's apparently a Royal. Remember Andrew Benintendi? He's a Royal. It's just a fun name. You can go down the list of Kansas City. They've got so many fun team names in there. It's very, very fun. You can do this with a bunch of people. You can go down to Hunter Dozier. He's still there. Remember Carlos Santana? Carlos Santana, who was like a star for Cleveland many, many years ago in the World Series. He's now apparently a Royal. Well, they have some. Salvador Perez. So that that that's enough, right? Just the one catcher that could put up 40 bombs in a year. Salvador Just like Perez, having I, Shane Bieber is enough for the Guardians. Crazy season he had last year. I, I, let's be honest mm-hmm. about that. That was but no Salvador Perez last year was insane. I didn't expect him to make the run he did. Um, so talk about getting that fly ball rate up. Okay, well, let's talk about the rest of the division here. So the Tigers, people's dark horse team. Um, they signed Javier Baez. That was their big free agent move in the offseason. AJ Hinch is there. So he has that World Series winning manager pedigree behind him. I just feel like maybe if Detroit made any noises here, they would be a year ahead of schedule. So I, I'm not going to lean with Detroit as a dark horse pick. Maybe they might make it in as a wildcard team. If you were telling me like, who are your wildcard teams? I might say Detroit might be one of those teams that kind of Hovers around there. Of course, they have to get past all the AL East teams. But Detroit might be one of those sneaky teams. Similar to the Twins, who you look at last year, and last year was a bit of an aberration in terms of how well run the Twins have been over the last couple decades. Obviously, you know, they're trading away Nelson Cruz at the deadline. Uh, Their lineup wasn't as prolific as it's been because it's traded Jose Barrios too. Yeah, it's really the offense that has been where the twins have made their money. They were one of those early adopters on the fly ball rate, the home run revolution, uh, leading baseball just a couple of years ago in home runs. They go out there, they, you know, Gio Urshela, Gary Sanchez and the Yankees trade um, of Josh Donaldson this offseason. I just don't think it's going to be enough. And that's why we mentioned him earlier. Tony LaRusse is still around in baseball. But, you know, give some respect to TLR. This man has pelts on the wall. This man has World Series rings. And this man has a fantastic team to work with. Even if at times they kind of come at odds, he still has enough talent on this roster. He has more talent than anyone else in the AL Central. So that's why the White Sox are an easy one here for me in the AL Central. 
Yeah, the White Sox are going to win the division. And by the way, I still love that Tim Anderson said, yeah, we pretty much just don't listen to Tony LaRussa. Or just like he he does his old person bantering and we just don't care. It's, that was one like, of my favorite parts of last it's like year. like the kids that are willing around their grandpa. Whatever you say, grandpa. You want some more? Exactly. You want some more yes. You want exactly. Some more you respect on a Hall of Famer. I know the last couple of years, he's had some weird stuff. He had the DUI come up. But do you know who the fuck I am? Do you he's, know he's a- who I am? The fact that you told the cop that, Tony, do you know who the fuck I am, Glorusa? That that has to be his new name for me going forward. I would also like to point out, because I forgot about this, like Salvador Perez also had two thirds of the Triple Crown last year in the American League. He was number one in RBIs and tied uh, Vlad Jr. in home runs. They both had 48 last year. He just happened wow. to be like 50th in batting average. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> okay, so we're we're both on the White Sox here. Do we need any yeah, more yeah, debate no, or deliberation? Uh, no. I will say, so the Tigers, I said for years are the worst run organization in all of Major League Baseball, but now they've acquired enough talent where because their division is so shit, they're going to finish third probably. And just because they're like a 74 win team, they've acquired just enough to get to 74 wins. The Tigers might end up being one of the last teams to benefit truly from tanking. They've just been at the bottom of the standings consistently over the last couple of years. And now they have some good prospects coming up. And that's why a lot of people are thinking that this might be a year in which they start making a turnaround. Uh, but I, I think, again, they'd be a year ahead of schedule if you told me they won the AL Central this year. They're going to be a pseudo wildcard team at best. You, you get guys like Javier Baez. I'm not a big Javier Baez guy. I, don't get me wrong. He's a fun player to watch, but um, he's kind of the MLB version of Russell Westbrook to me. There, there is a difference between bad teams and tanking teams. Tanking teams are actively tearing down their roster. The Tigers are trying to win. They just suck. We talked about the Twins a bit. If you want to check that out, check out our episode on Carlos Correa because we did a really good Twins breakdown there. They'll be better because they're actively Carlos trying Correa. to win. Yeah, big move for them. So again, yeah, they try to build back that lineup a little. It's just they don't have a lineup as deep as what the White Sox have. They don't have a no, rotation White Sox as good as the White Sox have. Uh, so the White Sox are clearly... Yeah, the White favorite. Sox are going to win the division and lose in the first round. Yay, okay. I, I thought that they might have been a team that get to the ALCS last year. I know okay. you did. I know you did. And I said that was the one series I felt the most conviction about. And I was right because it went four games, but it should have been a sweep because well, they, they were didn't terrible. land on the Astros side, I think that they might have had more luck. The fact that they landed facing the Astros, I felt was a bad matchup for them. And it was a bad matchup for them throughout the regular season. So it just held up in the postseason. Still ended up picking the Astros, though. So let's not like act like I yes. picked the White Sox. I picked Whoever, the Astros, but yes. I, I thought I gave them a little bit more of a chance. It just, again, what happened during the regular season just happened in the postseason. So maybe if they get lucky and face someone else in the first round, who knows? The Astros are going to be taking a little bit of a dip. And that's why we're going to talk about the AL West. The Astros should be taking a little bit of a dip this year. The Mariners are actually trying to be good this year. Mariners are one of those sneaky, sneaky teams that are hanging around here and trying to compete in this division. The A's just did a total teardown. The Angels are 
the enigma they don't are. understand i don't understand the angels at all it's two just of the <sighs> biggest generational players possible in shohei otani and mike trout maybe we get to see them play this year together which if they're both playing at a high level together that would be all i ask for from the angels if i could just see those two in the lineup consistently putting up numbers that they also have a third guy rendon has been top three in war the last two seasons like rendon is quietly one of the best players in baseball also and they still can't win shit i don't understand it at all and then you have the rangers i didn't think the rangers were trying to really do much this year but they go out and sign Corey seager they go out there and sign marcus simeon and it still sounds like at best the third team is in this division to me it sounds like they're as good as the angels on paper and i think the astros are still above those teams the question is had the Mariners caught up to the Astros because the Astros, you know, you lose a guy like Carlos Correa, and that's a big piece. That, that's a guy who's been part of your winning culture for the last few years, regardless if we talk about trash cans or not. He's been part of your winning culture for the last few years. And their rotation last year, you know, Framir Valdez, when it came to the Brave series, they weren't good. They get Justin Verlander back this year. We'll see what Justin Verlander still has at this point in his career. Uh, because he basically hasn't pitched for what feels like two years now. Um, they signed him back on a one-year deal. Um, and then Lance McCullers, who got injured in the World Series, how is he going to perform coming off of that injury? Because I've been reading some reports on him, and it doesn't sound like they know a good timeline for his return, which that's kind of scary when you talk about a guy dealing with an arm injury, you know, a, a fireball-throwing guy like Lance McCullers. I'm going to pick the Mariners to win this division. Spicy, bold, no mercy. Cajones pick of the week. I spent 35 minutes on the Take It Easy podcast this week just singing a lot of the praises of the Houston Astros. And I just want to do it for like three minutes here because it's hard to bet against the Houston Astros. I know everyone wants to call them cheaters. I know everyone wants to disrespect the Astros. What the Houston Astros have done over the past 10 years, I think that the Astros have done one of the most remarkable things we've seen in baseball over the past 10 years. Not the teardown part, but the then building it up and building the sustainability. They've gone to five consecutive league championship series, which is the first time since the 1990s Yankees, universally regarded as the best dynasty in the history of baseball. They've gone to three World Series in five years. Only the Giants have gone to more than two in a five-year stretch since those Yankees. And they won the one, obviously, partially by trash cans. And they were one game away in 2019, and they were two games away in 2021. The Houston Astros have basically turned over their entire roster apart from Altuve and Bregman and they've still maintained success. They even turned over the general manager and the coach who were fired in a cheating scandal and in the years since they came within one game of the World Series against the Rays and two games of winning the World Series last year. The Houston Astros who again the Houston Astros don't really have a rich baseball history. I know they have some baseball history but it's not really a rich baseball history. They turned the Yankees into little brothers. They've turned the the Red Sox into little brothers. They have stolen everyone's shit in Major League Baseball over the last five years, and they had no right to do that. Including their signs. They've had no right to that. 
<laughs> yes, they had no right to dominate the way they have. And yes, the sign stealing scandal is the thing that we're going to point to. But just like steroids, we're going to regret it. We're, 10 years from now, we're going to regret the way that we treated the Astros because they are the closest thing in baseball. To, I'm not saying they're the Patriots. They're the closest thing in baseball to what the Patriots have been doing over the past few years because they just never go down. I think that part of the explanation for why Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, generational talents of baseball, can never sniff the playoffs is because they happen to exist at the same time as the Houston Astros. And the fact that baseball stars can't single-handedly change teams the way that football and basketball stars do. But I think that plays something into it. So I'm taking the Astros because I just believe in them in a weird, irrational way. Because the Houston Astros have been the closest thing to the Patriots. And like you change the names on the roster, and all of a sudden McCullers goes from a fun Game 7 hero in 2017 to a legitimate number one and Urdikidi becomes a star and Luis Garcia becomes a star and Valdez becomes a star and they just for some reason always find a way to replace people whether it be signing Michael Brantley finding Miles Straw and having him be a producer Kyle Tucker Jordan Alvarez they always just seem to find new people and just replace them over and over again it reminds me of what the Patriots were the way people talked about the Patriots when I was a child I'm just going to bet on the system of the Houston Astros, although I do really, really like the Mariners. They'll probably be a wild card team and beat the White Sox in the wild card. Got to take that final party shot at the White Sox, don't you? Okay, I will say yes to all that. Jordan Alvarez and um, Kyle Tucker, I think are going to be instrumental pieces if this dynastic as you would probably call it, because they only have one title. I should point out only one title. Uh, run would continue that those so guys do the have Dodgers. to be, Well, they're not a dynasty either then. <laughs> But anyway, those guys have to be instrumental in their continued success if this team is going to be good again coming into this year. And they do need to have some good health in their rotation. Luckily, they're going in against a division in which you have a bunch of bad rotations and the Mariners. Noah Syndergaard is in this division. I should add for the Angels, for all the shit we talk about, hey, they don't have a rotation. They, they went out there. They got Thor. That's something. Yeah, it's something. Uh, it, who's their second starters? It's still Dylan Bundy. Is that, is that who they're yeah, rolling out yeah, with at this is. point? Um, yeah, it, it's a rough staff. Again, stop wasting Mike Trout's career. Don't waste Shohei Otani's career. Oh, no, Come no, on, no. Angels. They've already wasted Mike Trout. Mike Trout's already the old guy in baseball now. Okay. Now it's Otani's Well, time. okay. Last year was his first real injured year. We'll see. I, I'm not ready to write out Mike Trout. I, I think he was good before the injury and then got injured. Injuries happen. So as long as it does doesn't become one of those perennial injuries. I, I think he might be back this year. Don't sleep on Mike Trout comeback player of the year. Okay, West Coast, best coast, save the best for last, the NL West, a division near and dear to both of your hosts, a Giants fan in one corner, a Padres fan in the other, Dodgers haters all around. We can rule out two teams out the gate. The Diamondbacks and the Rockies are not winning this division. The Dodgers are still damn good as much as I hate them. They got Freddie Freeman to their lineup now. They got fucking Freddie Freeman now as part of their lineup. They're starting first baseman. We still don't know what's going to happen with Trevor Bauer, but 
If Trevor Bauer gets cleared, then they suddenly add a Cy Young award winner back to their staff. So the Dodgers might just be up and rolling just right out the gate again. The Giants, I like what the Giants have been doing. Farhan Saidi, one of the smartest executives in baseball, he just makes these moves. And you're like, this guy was playing in Korea last year. And then he's Darren Ruff. And he's hitting big time game five home runs off Julio Urias. What Farhan has been able to do in terms of day trading and just finding those little pieces, those fill-in guys, phenomenal. I mean, what they led baseball last year. I think they actually broke an all-time record for the amount of pinch hit home runs. That is incredible luck first of all, but smart managing, smart organization to be able to do something like that. I'll cast doubt on my own team here. I just don't know if you can like rely on that consistently year to year. Um, we're going to have to hope guys like Brandon Crawford could still be good. We got to hope guys like Brandon Belt can still be good while also losing Buster Posey and Chris Bryant in the lineup. Not easy pieces to replace. Jock Peterson's going to be an okay addition, I'm sure. He's not going to make the difference. What, what's really going to make the difference Series. You get a guy like Carlos Rondon. If Rondon stays healthy in Oracle Park, I think he could put up some decent numbers. Alex Cobb, I don't know if he's going to necessarily replace Gossman. And that's why I think it was so important for them to go out there and get a guy like Rondon because Logan Webb is going to be the ace for this team. I just don't know if they're a 107 win team like they were last year. If you told me they fell back to 90 wins, even high 80s, that would sound a little bit more appropriate for this team because there's a lack of superstar talent. For the Padres, what's your Padres take here, Kyle? Uh, is it wrong for me to not believe in them this year? Is it wrong for me to have seen them and be disappointed so many times that I just, I don't believe in the magic this year? I just, at this point, I'm just saying we're clearly not the Dodgers. This was a whole argument I had with Padres fans last year. And that was obviously a lot of them because uh, everyone I know, like that's the team you rally around in San Diego. Everyone got mad when like Scherzer was almost us and then went to the Dodgers. And I was like, wait, 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 Scherzer is not the difference between us and the Dodgers. Like we're not that close. And then obviously everything fell apart afterwards. I would say the biggest thing there would be him not being a Dodger. That, that's kind of why, like, sometimes I bemoan the Niners approach to free agency versus the Rams, because sometimes signing a guy isn't about necessarily having that guy on your roster. Sometimes it's about not having him on your division rivals roster. I think back to the 2010 season when the Giants just said, hey, we're going to put in a waiver claim for Cody Ross to keep him from becoming a Padre. And that ended up being the difference in them winning World Series. So Max Scherzer, even if he wasn't the difference between the Padres being as good as the Dodgers, it would have made the Dodgers weaker and the Padres better. Again, going that back part, to your- no, yeah, That optimism. part's understandable. That part's totally fair. Like, obviously no one wants him to go to the Dodgers instead of the Padres. But the Padres, as close as they are, they aren't that close. And that has nothing to do, well, it has part to do with the Padres, but it has more to do with just the Dodgers play the game differently than everyone else. I know you say arbitrarily you have to win two championships to be a dynasty. And by that standard, there literally has not been a dynasty in baseball since the Giants won the World Series. It's not arbitrary. It's been litigated. We have decided on it. It's in the rules. Gonzaga's not a dynasty either. I vehemently disagree. Vehemently disagree because... Then no one has won two World Series. Textbook definition. Then, by virtue, if none of these teams have won two World Series, they don't deserve dynasty. There have been seven different teams that have won the World Series in the last seven years, and that's like, not it, the fault of the definition of dynasty. 
That is the fault <sighs> of the teams who have failed to capitalize. No, that's too arbitrary of a result, especially in a random baseball playoff, which speaking of random baseball playoff is why I'm just saying to the Padres, just get in, just get in the playoffs. Like baseball is random as hell. If you took the Dodgers out of the National League right now, we would all just be looking around each other like dumbasses trying to figure out who's going to win the, the National League. It's the same thing that happened last year after the Dodgers all got hurt and they beat the Giants in the playoffs. Like there was just no one left to take the mantle. Like, oh, you mean was... after Dave Roberts ruined their rotation? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. But even still, he got a contract extension for it. And yeah, the Dodgers. That, that, that's the biggest thing I would say going back to that series. The best thing the Giants did was ruin the Dodgers rotation so they could lose to the Braves and we were spared of them winning a World Series. I mean, yeah. And sure, I'm cool with the Dodgers not winning the World Series as much as the next person. But the thing I've learned over the last three years is like, it's not a fair fight. Not only do the Dodgers get more money than everyone else because of their local television contract. Contract, they are the one franchise that says, we don't care about making money. We just don't care about making money. We're going to spend and spend and spend as much money as the Dodgers make. They're like middle of baseball in terms of like revenue per year. And the reason is because the Dodgers decide that instead of increasing franchise valuations and instead of pocketing revenue sharing profits, we're just going to spend and spend and spend because the thing that matters to us is not not money, it's winning championships. And you'd think that would be a more common thing in sports. But now that sports has become more corporate over the past 20 to 25 years, Jerry Jones model, increasing shareholder value is most important to sports franchises. And so it's not a fair fight. The Padres are trying to do what the Dodgers do. They just can't be the Dodgers because of the goddamn inferiority complex that exists in San Diego. People think that we're a suburb of Los Angeles. People think we're just a small town, even though we're the eighth largest largest city in America. This is just the, we can't be the Dodgers. We're not Los Angeles. We're San Diego. And we pay money to Eric Hosmer and we pay money to Manny Machado. That's how we get people to come is by spending exorbitant amounts of money. And we just can't do what the Dodgers do. And that's okay. Just get me to the playoffs because baseball is random. So who's winning the division, Kyle? Oh, the Dodgers are going to win the division because they've simply bought 105 wins. Like they have simply purchased a team that can win 105 regular season games. The good thing about baseball is seven different teams have won the World Series in seven years. It's random as shit when we get to the playoffs. Baseball makes no sense except for the Astros always making the CS. But other than that, other than the Astros and Dodgers, like teams four through 12, pretty random in baseball. So just get me to the playoffs. And the same thing for the Giants. The Giants should just be saying, get me to the playoffs. If you can get me to the playoffs in this National League, we've got at least a puncher's chance. And say someone topples the Dodgers like Washington did in 2019 or uh, 2016 Cubs did or the 2015 Mets. If someone can ch- topple the Dodgers because baseball is random, then maybe just just maybe we can go win the World Series. It's just crazy, too. They just have another year casually of Trey Turner in their lineup. We'll see what they get out of Cody Ballinger. Can Cody Ballinger be a productive MLB player ever again? It's so weird. I mean, they have the Rays model, too. That's the thing, right? Like, they spend exorbitant amounts of money, and they're using the Rays model of they were really, really good at accumulating prospects. They're really, really good at identifying and developing talent. The Dodgers are the closest thing you have to the modern Yankees, and that's only because baseball doesn't 
technically have a salary cap. Since the competitive balance tax went in in 2016, which now essentially operates as a salary cap for baseball, it's only given the Dodgers more of a competitive advantage. It's only given the Dodgers more of a lead because they say to hell with your taxes. We're just going to spend and spend and spend while other teams stop at $200 million. Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts. And they're trading prospects now. They traded for Scherzer. They traded for Trey Turner. And I assume they'll get Shane Bieber at the deadline this year. Yeah. So as much as it pains me as well, I am also picking the Dodgers to win the NL West. But I'm picking the Padres to finish second. Ooh, ooh, okay. This is some bets. This is some bets here. $10 to whoever's team finishes second. I will go the other way. I will bet you $10 the Giants win so that I emotionally hedge. I will emotionally hedge. (laughs) You duplicitous tank. Tatis is out for three months. I will point out. Tatis is out for three months, and we also don't really have a true number one starter. And we have Lamont Waite Jr. Fair fight. These guys are on fire. Let's hear more. Second quarter starts now. Joining us, the host of Inside the Parker, the host of The Odd Couple. He writes for Deadspin. He's a baseball Hall of Fame voter, one of the hardest working sports analysts out there. We are joined today by the one, the only, Rob Parker. Rob, how are you doing today? You ready for baseball? Absolutely. Are you crazy? This is like Christmas for me. I'm excited. Uh, The start of opening day, I know it's delayed a week, but we could accept that as long as we get all 162 games in. So I'm cool. I I never believed we weren't going to have a season. I figured they'd get it figured out and they did. And, uh, you know, like people are very spoiled. Oh, you know, when, when it was going on the lockout, but we had 28 years of labor peace. We hadn't had any kind of interruption of baseball since the 1994 canceling of the world series. So it had been a long time. And for a lot of people in the, in the last uh, generation, 25 years, it felt weird that there was this angst, but I'm an older guy. I've been covering baseball, major league baseball since 1986 and been a fan forever. And in the old days, it used to be every three or four years, there was a work stoppage or, or a strike or, you know what I mean? Like, because the union is strong. Unlike you didn't have these things in the NFL or the NBA because the players unions aren't nearly as strong as baseball. So I'm happy. Can't wait for opening day. Oh, you said it best. 162 games. We still get it. Uh, the last time we had that big strike, like I was born in the year that the Expos were supposed to be the World Series champions. So right. Like in 1994. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, new CBA, this means so new labor agreement. Uh, What did you think of the deal that the players struck? Do you think it was a good deal for both sides? I mean, both sides gave in some. I know players got to be happy with the minimums and some of the other money that's pulled in for guys who don't have to wait, you know, all the way to get paid. I think those are good things. The owners got what they wanted, expanded playoffs. Remember, players don't get paid during the playoffs. That's our owner's uh, paradise and windfall so that's why you even see it in the nfl why they added playoff teams that's what they want playoff money which players get a pool of you know depending on how far you get in the playoffs but you don't get paid during the postseason so i understand it i'm not that keen on i don't want the uh, major league baseball to turn into the other sports where more than half the league makes the playoffs i kind of hate that we're up to 12 teams i don't want 16 nhl and nba You know, the NBA has 20 teams competing in the postseason out of 30. 
What are we doing? We'll play 82 games to eliminate 10 teams. So one of the things that's been interesting about the expanded playoffs is the increase in anti-tanking sentiments that have gone on around Major League Baseball. Obviously, the story since the CBA was passed is the Reds have torn their team to the ground. The A's have torn their team to the ground. Cleveland was in the process of tearing their team down before signing Jose Ramirez to an extension. But I saw before that they had zero dollars guaranteed after this season prior to signing Jose Ramirez. So you're not the biggest fan of tanking. The MLB instituted a lottery at the new CBA. They've tried to figure out ways to trade comp picks. How do you feel about the state of tanking in Major League Baseball? Yeah, I mean, we saw, I think, the Astros do it, right? And that was really, the Astros were able to benefit from it, and they were able to put together young players and then build a team. You remember a couple of years ago, I think that they weren't even getting people watching Astros games on TV. The ratings were so low. Uh, and, then, and then they built up a powerhouse. So teams looked at that and were like, that's where we want to go. Uh, I don't like it. I think it's not fair to the fan base. Everybody can't win. I get that. And everybody can't be the Dodgers or the Mets, the two highest payrolls. I get that. And I understand the player's concern. The only thing I, I wonder is if you're asking people to have a floor, then then shouldn't there be a ceiling? I'm not I'm not for salary caps, but if you're asking that there's a minimum being spent, then then what about a maximum? Uh, players want there not to be a maximum, but there to be a floor. So I think that's where there's a, a, a an issue. I don't think that if teams get money from the other teams for competitive balance, that that money should be put anywhere other than back into the franchise. If you get a $100 million, that's got to be spent on payroll and players, not profits in your pocket. I think that's the problem I have with the money going to teams where, you know, the, the Baltimore Orioles payroll is $30 million and they're getting $100 million in competitive balance money. They, they're making $70 million profit before they sell a ticket or parking spot or their TV money. I think that's wrong. Rob, you're obviously a Hall of Fame voter. And this year, the Hall of Fame kind of like made some big waves in the offseason because for the 10th consecutive year, Clemens, Bonds, not in. I know you've been uh, consistent on voting for those guys the last couple of years. This one struck me a little bit differently too, because David Ortiz was a first ballot Hall of Famer. And to me, that just comes off as hypocritical. And these are the guys of mine and Kyle's generation. We grew up watching these guys play. So they kind of like brought us into our love of baseball. So what was your thought process when that whole thing went down? Well, I was on MLB Network as an analyst that night. It was a big night, and I thought we got it wrong. At the BBWAA, which I've been a member of since 1990, and it's a great organization, and the writers normally get it right, and they do. I mean, they they take it very seriously. I think I thought we swung and missed to not put Bonds and Clemens. And your point about Big Poppy, I think he's actually one of the poster child to me. If you're going to look at a guy whose career wasn't that great when he was in Minnesota, and then all of a sudden became this unbelievable hitter. The one thing you can't say about Bonds and Clemens is that they were good from day one, pre-steroid use. And, and so I have an issue. Clemens won three Cy Youngs with the Red Sox. Go look at the videotape. He's this skinny. Bonds won three MVPs in Pittsburgh way before he ever went. Now, and then we have these other guys who we've put in the Hall of Fame, and you're keeping out two of the greatest players. Pudge Rodriguez was in the Conseco book. I was in Detroit the year after Pudge came back and lost 40 pounds in the offseason. You know, I, I was there for that. 
uh, Mike Piazza, there was always rumors and stuff swirling about him and, and juice use uh, Bagwell and Houston. I mean, like these guys are all in and even big poppy's name was on that list, even though the commissioner tried to pardon him and say it was a mistake, whatever it was, it's either none of the guys get in or we put some of these guys in. And I'm sorry, when you talk about bonds, Clemens, Sosa, and even Sheffield, I voted for all four of those guys. All four of those guys, go look at their stats. Sosa was a 30 at 30 guy at age 24, way before Juice. Uh, Sheffield from, was, a, was a star from day one when he broke in with the Milwaukee Brewers. Go look. I think it's unfair, and I think we're picking on a couple of guys when this was a widespread problem in baseball, especially because they weren't testing for. Rob, I wanted to ask you about the Trevor Bauer situation because over the offseason, criminal charges were not brought against him in Los Angeles County and Major League Baseball is still investigating for him in regards to the personal conduct policy. And they're in a place now where he's still on administrative leave and Bauer has been increasingly vocal now that criminal charges aren't being brought against him. Uh, and yet Major League Baseball is still waiting to decide on completing their investigation and deciding a suspension. How how do you feel about how they've handled this situation over the past nine months? I, I get it. It's a touchy situation and people have to understand you don't have to have a criminal conviction in order for a league to sanction uh, a suspension against you. I mean, it's happened before. When you sign these contracts, you sign code of conduct clauses and moral clauses. And it's not about the court of law. If you do something to damage the image or the shield, as they say in the NFL, whatever, they can suspend you. And baseball has that right. There have been players with domestic violence where the wives have refused to testify, but they still got suspended by Major League Baseball, despite there not being a trial or, you know, a, a judgment Either way, guilty or innocent. The only thing I'll say is I think Major League Baseball has taken way too long. I think with the time that's spent, they should have said to Trevor Bauer, either you can play or you can't by now. Like for it to be past spring training and opening day seems unfair to me, despite how horrific the charges were, the pictures I saw. I mean, I get it. I don't believe personally he'll ever play for the Dodgers again. And there'll be a number of teams that won't because I remember the actions of the Dodgers when this came out and the pictures, all of his teammates stopped following him on social media. The team had a bobblehead night scheduled for him. They canceled that. They just, they, they stopped selling his jersey. I mean, and this is all before there was any kind of guilt or innocence. And I think there are people inside that clubhouse, an organization that still, regardless of how talented he is, would rather not have a guy who has these things in his past, uh, a part of the franchise. So even though the Dodgers could seriously use him at the top of their rotation, I don't think he'll play for the Dodgers. I do believe there'll be some team he'll play for, but I, I would be shocked if he's back with the Dodgers. Rob, changing gears there a little bit. I was reading your recent article on Deadspin or recent baseball article on Deadspin regarding the death of pitchers batting, so the rise of the DH. And I, too, will miss Bartolo Colon making some swings in the batter's box. But you're the first person since Kevin Costner and Bull Durham to – be anti-DH. So I want to kind of like explain your philosophies. You called it a bad idea dating back to the 70s. Yeah. Baseball wasn't invented that way. I love the strategy of, do I keep the pitcher in? You know, it's the sixth inning. We're down by a run. We got a man on second base. This might be our only chance. Should I pinch it for him? 
Do you know what I mean? Like the strategy of it. Now you could just make out the American League to me always reminded me of a softball beer league. You just make out the lineup and just throw people out there and there's no just let everybody get their wax. So I'm not a big DH guy. I love National League Baseball better. I always have. I'm going to miss it. I don't think managing will be nearly as prevalent as it was, strategy and all that. So I'm not a I'm not a DH guy. I just it just doesn't do anything for me. And now we'll see. You know, at one time it was supposed to be put in to keep older players in the game who can't play the field nearly as well. You're going to see a lot younger guys DHing. Uh, Freddie Freeman, right? Um, I don't know if he's going to DH with the Dodgers, but there's a spot now for guys to DH and and whatnot. I'm, I'm a traditionalist. I'm not the old guy, you know, you know, waving at the clouds or whatever, but I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss it. I, I didn't like it in 1973 and I don't like it in 2022. <laughs> Still holding out hope that the Giants signed Barry Bonds a one-year DH contract with that now in the National League. Oh, that would um, be great, wouldn't it? That would be yeah, great. Yeah, restart the clock. Restart it. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, of course, if you want to follow Rob for all his excellent baseball content, football content, basketball content, Jack of all trades at Rob Parker FSR at Rob Parker FS1 on Instagram and Twitter, respectively, for news, rumors, locations of quiet places where rats may or may not be urinating. Rob Parker got right. you covered. <laughs> And and please, uh, if you haven't, subscribe to the uh, podcast, Inside the Parker. You can just Google it, find it, uh, and and subscribe. It's a fun podcast. You guys have heard it. 22 minutes, tops, moves real fast. And this week, dropping tomorrow, Hall of Fame legendary sportscaster Bob Costas, who you know loves baseball as much as we do. And uh, Cameron Mabin, the former outfielder, who's now a television broadcaster on the Yes Network for the Yankees. He took over Ken Singleton's old job who retired. Great podcast to start kick off the baseball season. So please uh, try to uh, download it and uh, subscribe. The Slumbuster guys are killing it. Half done. Third quarter is beginning now. All right, Kyle, it's not often that we see a number one pick go so far under the radar, just three years removed from being drafted. We finally have some Zion news in the 2022 NBA season. And that's because an impromptu podcast appearance by his stepdad. So on the Jordy Collada show, Zion's stepdad basically said, there's a chance he can play this year. And Zion, he has played a total of 85 games over the three-year period that he's been in New Orleans. Obviously, there's been a lot of speculation. How long is he going to stay in the organization? Um, does he want to be there? His weight gain? Can he stay healthy? There's a lot of storylines outside of basketball that affect Zion Williamson on a daily basis. As much as I would love to see him, because I feel Zion is the type that can roll out of bed and put up 27-7 and for you. I'm wondering if he should come back this year. Even in the Pelicans' hot streak, they're now firmly locked into the play-in tournament. The Lakers were eliminated last night. Would it be a good decision to see him back this year if he's healthy, assuming doctors have cleared him? Should he just come back just to say, I am here, I am Zion Williamson? 
no, he shouldn't do it just to show up and be there. Like the Pelicans are probably going to lose in the play-in. It's not a guarantee, but the Pelicans are probably going to lose the play-in considering that goddamn Clippers are going to get a seven-game series and I don't understand it. But the Spurs were basically trying to tank and then the Lakers were like, hold our beer. And now it's like the Pelicans and Spurs are in the play-in game. And I assume those two teams will end up being the ones who get eliminated. I could be wrong, but I assume that Minnesota is going to be the seventh and then the Clippers might be the eight. Maybe maybe the Pelicans can win two games there, but that's that seems like the more likely scenario there. So no, I don't think it's worth it for Zion to come back at all, especially because he's been out the entire season. I don't know what to do with Zion at this point because Zion Williamson, I said when he was going to get drafted that this is like the last hope for New Orleans as an NBA basketball franchise. There's already been talks about reload them being the next relocation team in the NBA. There's not really a lot of fervor for basketball in New Orleans. And I just think that the last three years have been as close to obvious as you can see that it's not going to work. And maybe Zion signs the Supermax this summer. Because again, like guaranteeing $250 million is obviously a huge deal. It's no chump change. You'd have to turn down all of it to take a one-year qualifying offer which has never been done before. You'd have to take a one-year qualifying offer with the Pelicans and essentially demand a trade this summer. And that would be unprecedented and also something that I understand at this point. If he doesn't want to play for the Pelicans, he doesn't want to play for the Pelicans, but we just don't know. We just haven't heard from Zion Williamson in like a year and a half. And so we have to listen to his stepdad talk about stuff to even get a clue about what is happening with him. And yeah, that's obviously part of the problem. We haven't heard from him. He hasn't talked to the New Orleans media since November, which is his right because as an injured player, he has no obligation to talk to the media. It is one of those loophole exceptions that when you're hurt, you don't have to talk to anyone. When we talk about Zion's camp saying that he doesn't want to play in New Orleans, this is a very interesting comment from someone you would consider in his camp, right? Lee Anderson is as much a part of Zion's camp as anyone, as much as Zion's mother, as much as Zion's brother. Lee Anderson is connected to what Zion thinks. Now, it's interesting to see a parent of a player have somewhat of a regular appearance on Jordy Colada's podcast, you know, to build the beans on this information that he wants to play. Now, there are some things that stood out if you listen to the full interview. Like, he spoke very glowingly of the new New Orleans head coach. I think seeing New Orleans start to have an uptick in production, start to win some more games, has started to speak to that inner competitor that is Zion Williamson. Because I remember, and this is one thing that I respected about Zion when he was coming out of Duke. People said when he first busted his shoe, don't play Zion, you're going to cost yourself so much money. Chill the rest of the season. Duke doesn't need you. The NCAA is not paying you. Duke's not paying you. But Zion said, through that, I want to be with my teammates. I want to play basketball. And he went out there. And yes, Duke lost in the NCAA tournament anyway, but you love to see a guy that's willing to put down the line for a sport that he loves. And I thought that Zion just loved basketball. And that's why I gravitated towards him. And now with the injuries and seeing where he is at this point in his career, the weight gain, the quietness from him, it started to make me question, does he still have that love for basketball? Is it just the Pelicans organization? Is it New Orleans? What is it, Zion? What is it that's not quite clicking here? It might be 
nothing. It might just be as simple as I'm hurt, I can't play. And we're just making a whole lot of noise about this. It's probably more noise than news. When you're talking about a guy that has as big of a brand as he does at this young of an age, of course, everything he does is news. He's supposed to be the next LeBron James, and we haven't seen him the majority of his career. Again, 85 games. Apparently, if you compare the stats to Greg Oden, he's played almost as much as Greg Oden has played in that amount of time. Oh, I'm going to push back here. I'm going to push back here. And yes, you are correct about the raw numbers. Zion Williamson started in the all-star game at 20 years old, and it wasn't a fan vote. It was not a fan vote either. He just straight started in the all-star game. I'm not questioning his play. No, I'm just questioning he hasn't played throughout his career. I mean, again, I mentioned at the start, he's a guy that could roll out of bed and give you 27 points in production. He's that good. And I'm missing him play. I really want to see him come back. Selfishly, I, I again, I know there's reasons he shouldn't, especially if he's not fully healthy. But if he is healthy, if doctors say you can play, then why not? Who knows? Maybe you do win a one game plan. And suddenly that's good for the Zion brand. He came out, played in the play-in game and got his team to a seven game series. And will they probably lose that series regardless of who they play? Yes. But for him to have those big playoff moments, for him to show that he does care, I I think would be huge for anyone who's starting to doubt him. Just get those critics off his back a little bit. To be a generational talent also takes a little bit of universal love. I know we have mixed results on LeBron now, but when LeBron was first coming up, I think pretty much everyone was in universal agreement that they loved him. In Cleveland, first few years in Cleveland, everyone loved LeBron James. And we don't have that same kind of a love for Zion, or at least not all of us. Jaw has also stolen a lot of his thunder because you look at what Jaw's done with the Memphis Grizzlies, also a small market team. And I think he's getting compared a little bit to the guy that was drafted after him. What I'll say too, as far as New Orleans not being a viable basketball market, why I'm disappointed, I think it could be. I don't think that New Orleans is even a viable football market for a majority of years until Drew Brees and the Saints started winning some games. It takes wins. If you start winning games, suddenly you become a basketball market. Suddenly you become a baseball market. Suddenly you become a football market. You just got to win games. That's what people want to see. And just let's face it, New Orleans basketball just hasn't done that a whole lot. Yeah, I, I think even when the Saints, I mean, again, I wasn't alive for it. This is more secondhand referencing, but when LSU was terrible, and when the Saints were terrible, people still cared. I think the difference is nobody cares. Well, I'll throw this when out there to you too, because you did mention you were fairly young when this happened. Hurricane Katrina hit, and there was that opportunity. There was an open window for the Saints to leave New Orleans. So that tells you how bad Saints football used to be that that thought even happened. They were almost the San Antonio Saints. Same way we're talking about the Pelicans now. It just needs one generational player to turn things around. And I think whenever I saw Zion to get drafted by the Pelicans, I was kind of hoping he would have done that because I don't think there's any reason that New Orleans can't be a basketball market. It's a good market. I mean, people like New Orleans. People like the vacation in New Orleans, right? When I think about destination cities across the US, New Orleans is certainly a city that's on my bucket list. So why can't it be a city in which people travel to watch a basketball game? Here's the thing about generational stars. They've had three now. They've had three post-Hurricane Katrina. And I know you're going to push back on Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis was the greatest prospect to enter the NBA draft since Kevin Durant, which by the way, Zion was the greatest prospect to enter the NBA draft, according to some, since Anthony Davis. They've all gone through the shit cycle of New Orleans. Again, if Zion is going to commit to New Orleans and he's healthy, then play. I just don't know where Zion Williamson is at at this point in terms of what he wants 
from the organization because I just haven't heard any reporting done other than the rumblings of he's living in Portland for a few months and he doesn't like David Griffin. Like that's the only thing I've heard about. See, it. That, that's the thing that I'm kind of curious about because you mentioned the shit storm of New Orleans. I feel like New Orleans has done everything right over the last couple of years to try and make this a winning environment. Obviously the big deal with the Lakers where they got a lot of pieces back that they were able to build with hiring coaches that they thought could have advanced them. Now they're on Willie Green and he seems to be a coach that uh, seems to be meshing well with players. He's, again, Zion's stepdad called him a player's coach. You draft Zion, you sign guys like JJ Riddick, veterans that you think can help build a good culture. You trade for a guy like CJ McCollum. I feel like the Pelicans have done a lot of things right that winning cultures and basketball do. They just need that one guy to push them over the top. And they're hoping that guy is Zion. Is him going to the Knicks really going to be the difference maker in his career? I mean, we've seen so many times that a player goes to New York and gets ate up and spat out. And that's the only place people want him to go. That's why well, I kind of so feel like some of the arguments are a little disingenuous. It's just like people trying to get him to quote unquote, a big market like New York, but the Knicks suck. The Knicks suck just as much as the Pelicans, guys. I think the the part about that is just that the only connection people can make is RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish play with the Knicks. And remember during the draft, the greatest draft lottery of all time, where they're like, the Knicks are going to get Zion and KD and Kyrie Irving and turn it around. Like that's the only connection people are making is people put onto Zion that he wanted to be with the Knicks in the first place. People assume that it's like, because the Knicks have the top pick in the draft, he always wanted to be a Nick in the first place. And I don't think that's the truth, which is why I would say we're going to find out this offseason because Zion is eligible for the Supermax extension. If he signs it, then he's a Pelican for six years. If he doesn't sign it, we know that there's truth to rumors or truth to some of the speculation here. You mentioned the Pelicans have tried. The Pelicans have tried their best to build around him and they have failed miserably. They have failed miserably because but how much is that of that is Zion it oh it's but David Griffin might get fired at the end of this season if they hadn't turned it around at the very end CJ McCollum was his last ditch effort to try and save it so remember all those players and picks they got for Anthony Davis yeah Alonzo's gone Josh Hart is gone They're, yes Brandon Ingram's Brandon a fine Ingram player but let's talk about the picks also so they got the four pick from the Lakers in that draft they traded down from pick four so the Hawks could get DeAndre Hunter, who I'll admit, fine player, 20 point a game scorer at his best. They traded down and they got Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander Walker, which is not great. The next year, first round pick, they drafted Kyra Lewis Jr. Not great with their first round pick. So the Pelicans last year traded down so that Memphis could get Zaire Williams. I don't know who they got after that. It hasn't really done much there. And then they just kind of, they traded for Steven Adams. They traded a first round pick to OKC for Steven Adams. That ended up flying. They then had to flip another first round pick to Memphis to get Jonas Valanciunas and to dump Steven Adams contract. They've just made so many bad moves over the past few years. And by the way, hired Stan Van Gundy to be their head coach when Stan Van Gundy thought they were going to compete. And then three weeks later, immediately trade.
traded Drew Holiday to the Bucks, and that was the beginning of like the downfall because that's not what Stan Van Gundy okay. thought he was yeah, signing up. That, for. That's probably the one move that I look at. I'm like, okay, if I'm building around Zion, I would have kept a guy like Drew Holiday. Obviously, the Bucks they had to make a move, so they they forced their hands to go and get a guy like Drew Holiday. They offered them a deal that they thought would have worked out for him, and it hasn't. Drew Holiday would have been a great player to pair with Zion if they still were in his position to get CJ McCollum. Then suddenly you're talking about that core. I'm okay with that core. That core can win some games. That core can be a little bit frisky in the Western Conference as the Western Conference continues to decline. That's another thing. Zion and the Pelicans started to stay healthy, consistently continue to build. The Western Conference is starting to open up a little more and more and more that this could be potentially their conference to run. If you went to the East, you go to the East and then suddenly, you know, you're you're in a loaded conference. The paradigm has completely shifted. The East is now the strongest conference in the NBA. Um, Zion, it's it's similar to how I think about the quarterbacks situation, the AFC and NFC. In the NFC, obviously, the quarterbacks are pretty scarce. You mentioned Matthew Stafford, Dak, um, and then it starts to become that Kirk Cousins territory. That's how I feel about the Western Conference now. Um, Once you get past, like, the top guys, the Phoenix Suns, okay, Utah's fine. But as Zion starts to enter his prime, I think that's going to shift only because all of the young generational talents are in the Western Conference. Okay, yes. And that's kind of He could be as good as Luka, and he certainly could be as good as Nikola. Oh, I was going with Jaw. I was going him and well, Jaw. And- yeah, and while that's going to be the, again, is just going to be constantly compared to Jaw, and the fact that Jaw has just embraced Memphis has really become a part of Memphis culture and really been the instrumental piece in the Grizzlies turnaround. When I think about the Grizzlies two years ago when Jaw first got there, I was like, oh, okay, it's Memphis. Now I'm looking at Memphis and they are the second best team in the West, man. I- I'm sorry, but the Warriors have really come back down to earth and the Grizzlies, you look at what they've done without Jaw in their lineup. And I don't think that that's indicative of them being better without Jaw. I just think that it's impressive how much depth is on that team that they could be 20 and two without their superstar in their lineup. And then when they get their superstar in the lineup, Memphis could really take off this postseason. The only wall that I really see them is I think they're a poor matchup against Phoenix. And that's fine because they would be a year ahead of schedule. If you go back to our conversation a couple of weeks ago, our uh, Memphis expert even said that they were two years ahead of schedule. But that's another thing. Jaw's success has been detrimental in how Zion is perceived. But so the part that I would go to there is, is that too short-sighted? on our part because I'll point out two examples it might be it might be but if it ends up being Kevin Durant and Greg Oden and I don't wish that on Zion but it's a non-zero chance that that ends up being his career arc so two examples I'll point to the best one that I can compare Zion Williamson to is Joel Embiid and there will be some people who say if Zion only becomes Joel Embiid his career will be a disappointment and to that I say you set the bar way too high for that 17 year old if you're saying if he only becomes Joel Embiid his career will be disappointed pointing. But Joel Embiid played 39 games in three years and everyone was making the same arguments and the Sixers gave him the max contract and, you know, lo and behold, Joel Embiid's physical gifts took over once health kicked in. Little little pushback here. Little pushback because Joel, yes, he was dealing with injuries, but I think the weight gain is another thing that has been what people have been critical on on Zion is can he commit 
This is the it, difficult it, part too, is like, I don't like, know what's true and what's not there. There's been so many different things thrown around about it that I just if, don't know what's true and what's not about Zion's weight. If he continues to push over 300 pounds, continues to push over 350 pounds, then that just becomes hard. That just becomes hard but, to but run on the court. we haven't seen him on a scale cardio. though. This is speculation. I've also heard people say he's in great basketball but, shape. Like it's we've impossible. also seen pictures too. And like, we can tell that there's a notable difference between when he first stepped into the NBA and where he is now now that his health isn't in the best of shape and that could also be because of the injury he's not able to do as much cardio and he's starting to put on a little bit of weight because of that it's not all just new orleans cooking folks it it could just be a little bit of the injury and having to stay off that foot you certainly you're not going to be doing suicides in the gym if you know you're dealing with a metacarpal injury like he has been dealing with but that's part of the story you know i should throw this in here too it's not just his stepdad's podcast appearance that has people talking about Zion returning. He also released his own video, him making this fantastic, spectacular Zion Williamson type dunk in the gym. And that got people talking. And then there's been reports of him doing one-on-one and three-on-three and five-on-five. Now this isn't necessarily him doing five-on-five with the Pelicans, but apparently he might be doing five-on-five at the rec center against just some average Joes like you and me. Is that good enough for him to Mm -hmm. be in NBA shape? I don't know. Or maybe former college basketball players, possibly. But at the same time, not NBA caliber talent. The thing that is interesting is like, we've kind of delayed this topic for a couple of weeks too. Like we've tried to find a place to squeeze it in. There just hasn't been a lot of information about what Zion Williamson wants. And so to fill in the gaps, there's been a lot of speculation in between and looking for breadcrumbs that get dropped in. And like all we know, is that he's not happy with David Griffin and that he was living in Portland for four months while he was rehabbing from his injury and no one knew when he was going to come back and when he wasn't. And I don't know how supportive or not supportive the Pelicans franchise has been. I was going to bring up the second point after Joel Embiid, which was Kawhi Leonard, where Kawhi Leonard was kind of in this purgatory of we don't know when he's going to be back from injury and the Spurs failure to support him as an organization alienated him and pushed him out the door. So maybe some of that's happening behind the scenes and we don't know about it. Or maybe the Pelicans have been supportive to Zion Williamson through the process. I don't know. I don't know whether Zion wants their support or not. Clearly, like there's obviously some animus there, whether it's CJ McCollum saying he never talked to Zion after first going to the team or, you know, the report that he just doesn't like David Griffin. That's like all I can point to of like, actually Zion is unhappy with the Pelicans and people wanting to make him go to the Knicks. You talk about us delaying this, how we completely missed JJ Riddick even saying he was a hands-off teammate that would be curious to see was he a hands-off teammate at Duke is that just part of his basketball character because I could understand that I could kind of relate to that like I'm not close with every single one of my co-workers but I understand it's a different culture too in the NBA well, guy and, gets and traded also, to your team yeah. big free agent move usually you shoot them a text especially if you're perceived as the star of that team but people are also using these to make a broader point like when we insinuate that Zion isn't happy with the Pelicans or we insinuate that Zion Williamson doesn't go to a certain team. It's a step, it's like two steps short of saying Zion Williamson is selfish, Zion Williamson is greedy, and Zion Williamson is everything wrong with basketball. Like that's the step people are trying to make when they begin to character smear Zion Williamson. And I just don't know where Zion Williamson's at. Like if he's not invested in the Pelicans, like, yeah, it's really hard to invest when you don't want to be in a place and when you're unhappy with the circumstances that you're presented and, you know, you don't like your boss and 
your boss makes terrible moves and everyone can see your boss makes terrible moves. And it's difficult to invest in that way if he's not there. I'm not even like if Zion doesn't want to be with the Pelicans and Zion didn't talk to teammates or Zion Williamson is it is going to turn down money to leave New Orleans this offseason. I'm not even passing judgment on that one. If Z- this whole season was Zion Williamson was unhealthy to play for part of the season and then decided to shut it down for the entire year. I'm not even mad at Zion if he wanted to do that because Zion Williamson is not going to throw away a $250 million investment because he likes eating Doritos. Like I think that's people trying to make it too simplistic in, in putting Zion Williamson into he's a fat, greedy slob who wants to leave New Orleans, which is the place that some people are going to take this and use all the evidence that we've laid out as like, this is reason why he wants to leave the Pelicans. And this is everything wrong with the, the I feel terrible for the city of New Orleans in that way. And I just don't know anything about Zion Williamson. I, I've heard so little breadcrumbs that everything else feels like it's just filling in the boxes of when we don't have any in, in the modern NBA where, you know, there's more news reporters than there is news to report. We just don't know anything really about Zion Williamson. And when we're left to pick up the breadcrumbs and guess, some people come to definitive conclusions without a lot of information. Where we can start to make definitive conclusions is this offseason because of that supermax availability. Zion doesn't sign the supermax this offseason. We know that it's a long play to get out of New Orleans. Something is going to come to a head this offseason the same way it did for Luca back in 2019, where people were like, Luca wants to stay, but he's unhappy with the state of the organization. And the next thing you know, within seven days of each other, general manager of 17 years fired, head coach of 17 years gone. Lucas Doncic, Supermax extension. Something like that is going to happen in New Orleans this offseason. We just have to wait five months and for them to lose in the play-in game to get to that place where we'll get more information about how Zion Williamson actually feels. And now starts the final quarter. Buckle up. Buckle up. This is the Slumpbuster Podcast. Uh, joining us today to talk this very interesting Tampa Bay Buccaneers offseason that was all started with Tom Brady retiring, then unretiring, then Bruce Arians retiring. It, it's Sportsway with Dre Day. Dre Day joining us here to talk all things Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Dre, I got to ask first things first. Are you disappointed that the Blaine Gabbert arrow is put on hold in Tampa? No, I'm not disappointed at all. I, I, I'm not disappointed at all. I, I'm glad my guy Brady is back. I have been a Brady guy since he was at Michigan. So my loyalty is more so to him than it is to a team. It's like basically where he go, I go. I'm glad that he's back. I'm just surprised that the announcement came as quick as I thought. I mean, I knew he was going to retire because I figured he had nothing left to prove. But I'm just surprised that after two months with being with Giselle and your kids, you said, all right, okay, F these kids. It's time to go back to football. Okay, well, do you feel there is anything left to prove as he now enters year 23? Well, you let him tell it. He got unfinished business. I mean, my dude, you got seven rings. How how much unfinished business do you need? I get how they lost to the Rams. You know, they scored all those unanswered points. I believe it was, what, 24 unanswered points to come back, you know, in the second half. Basically, a blown coverage basically helped Cooper Cup make that catch and get them in field goal range. So if, if that's his outtake for unfinished business and we all know the competitor that he is then i i guess he got unfinished business but for me personally i mean my dude you got seven rings like there's nothing left to prove like nobody is catching that 
not in our lifetime, ain't nobody catching seven rings. But the dude is a competitor, probably the fiercest competitor that we've probably ever seen in football. You know what I'm saying? But I guess for him, he needs football. Because we all know his personality ain't all the way up to par. Like when you think of Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, all these guys that have done things outside of football, you know, they have their own shows, they have their networks and things like that. I don't see Tom in that light. You know, I don't see him color commentary on CBS or Fox or any of these major networks like the Mannings or hosting Saturday Night Live or something. His personality is eh. So he needs football. You're going to have to basically knock the shit out of him to make him retire, the way I see it. The dude said he wanted to play to 45. He about to be 45 now. So hopefully this year he decides, you know what, after that I'm done. Let me truly stay home with Giselle and the kids, but let's see. So the timing of <laughs> Bruce Arians retiring and Tom Brady coming back kind of suggests that like Tom Brady won a power struggle within the Buccaneers organization. And That's exactly what it was. Can't nobody tell me no different. Can't nobody tell me no different because, I mean, we all heard reports last year that they was at odds a little bit. I mean, they were at odds. What was it? The first game he played with them because Bruce Arians basically threw him under the bus after a loss. But me personally, I don't mind playing for a coach that's going to throw me under the bus because that's going to make me play better. I'm going to give you the perfect analogy. Tim Duncan is the greatest power forward to ever play in the NBA. Coach Pop would chew his ass up when he needs to. Nobody is exempt from getting called out. You know what I'm saying? I would rather play with a coach, well, play for a coach that will call me out on my shit as opposed to playing favorites. Oh, he's the GOAT, so, you know, I got to pacify him. No, nah, we can't do that. I guess maybe it was a power struggle with that. Supposedly, Brady, you know, was more opposed to Brian Leftwich style and maybe that's why the rift between him and Bruce Arians came into play but I did find it a little uh, a little too crazy that once he announced that he was coming back a few days after or maybe a week or so I remember I was at work and I got that notification that Bruce Arians was retiring as head coach I'm like what what the hell I'm like oh nah this is fishy but I'm gonna let them run with it and let them do this whole what is it Brady sent that long heartfelt post on IG that he does if you go into the comments, Bruce Arians is the second one that responded to it, talking about some love you, bro, all that. Man, get out of here with that, man. Well, you know, you mentioned Tom Brady had that goal of retiring at 45. He also had a goal of retiring when he, quote, unquote, sucked. Last year, by all indications, he didn't suck. He threw for no. 5,300 yards, led the league in touchdowns, led the league in completions. Uh, Tom Brady's everything but a sucky quarterback at this point in his career, even at this point in his age. So what, what should we expect from Tom? Is it going to be much of the same or is that ever expanding cliff ever going to come that Max Kellerman talked about like five years ago now? Well, obviously Max was way off with that cliff and I'm glad to see that he's finally owned up to it because years after that, he kept saying that how, oh, no, I didn't mean then. I mean, man, please, you said you said it when you said it, and it didn't happen. I do believe that we're not going to see a cliff when it comes to him. Again, I just, I, again, I honestly think the only way Brady is coming off that field is if somebody has to knock the shit out of him. Now, if they want Brady gone that bad, just have LT come back for one game, have him play with the Rams, and let him knock Brady out like he used to do old quarterbacks and then maybe that right there maybe have Tom Brady retire but other than that I don't see him 
leaving the game from a decline because, like you said, he led the league last year in touchdown passes and yards. For the most part, a lot of people had him as an MVP. I didn't. I still felt that Aaron Rodgers deserved to be MVP. But even last year, he didn't show no decline. The dude can still play. We know that. And I think it's going to be the same thing this year. I think the key is if Godwin is back in time because we know when it comes to them slot receivers, Brady loves his slot receivers. So if Chris Godwin can come back in time, that'd be dope. If not, oh, you mentioned the receiving core there. They've oh, also yes. signed Russell Gage and Godwin got an extension instead of going on the franchise tag. We assume Gronk is going to be back. He hasn't technically signed, back. but. We assume Gronk's coming back. I so how do you feel back. about the Bucks receiving core? I, I, I spoke to Gronk. He coming back. Like, 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 like I spoke to him, you know, I, you know, I was, I was watching him last night, you know, on Jimmy Kimball. And, you know, he was, you know, Jimmy Kimball was trying his best to try to get Gronk to answer some questions, but Gronk, you know, didn't go for the okie doke. But I know, I, I, I know what it is with Gronk. Like he, he, he's been in the game long enough to know where it's like, yo, I don't need to show up for OTAs. I don't need to show up for these workouts and training camps. I just need to be ready for preseason or when the season starts. He's not trying to show up for all that other shit. He's he trying to enjoy his summer like a lot of people are. I do believe he will be back, though. I, I do believe he'll be back. I think it's a reason on why, you know, he basically hasn't made his mind up yet. I'm going to give it probably about June, July. And we're going to find out he'll be back. Um, as far as the receiving cores, not big names, which, I, which I'm okay with. Because, listen, if we follow Brady, we know he don't need no big names. And then when he did have big names, I mean, besides Randy Moss, it panned out stat-wise. It didn't pan out championship-wise. And then the last big name he had wound up being a troublemaker, which was A.B., but that's neither here nor there. I love Mike Evans. I love Chris Godwin, so get well soon to him. I truly hope that he will – I truly hope that he'll be back in time. Gage, I believe this will be – I'm not really too familiar with him, but I do know he did play with the Falcons, so he's a division rival. So, obviously, y'all know how that goes. Like, when free agency comes, if I got an opportunity to play against my former team two times out the year – that's all the fire I need. And if for him to make that decision to come to Tampa to play with Brady, I'm sure he's going to be on his game. I'm I'm definitely, I'm positive he's going to be on his game. He's not going to blow this opportunity. It ain't too many receivers that can say that they've been fortunate enough to catch passes from Brady. And for the most part, those receivers that have, some have showed up, some haven't. I believe Gage will be one of those receivers to answer the bell and, you know, have his production for the Tampa Bay offense. Well, it's not just the receiving core that we need to talk. There was some changes on the offensive line, uh, losing Marpet. That, that's a big loss there. And Brady's not exactly the most mobile quarterback in the world. He needs that line to be steady. How do you think they go about replacing Marpet? Do you think it's going to strictly come down in a draft pick? Or do you think the Buccaneers have a greater plan here? I think they're going to do what they did when they um picked up Tristan Wealth. I, th I think they're going to go in the draft. I honestly think they're going to look for somebody in the draft. They lost Kappa, Kappa to uh, Cincinnati. I mean, I don't know why he made, I mean, I mean, I mean, I know why he made the move because they threw that bag at him. But you would think with Brady saying he's going to come back, everybody would want to stay. But at the end of the day, dude's got bills to pay. You know, dudes got families. Dudes is not on some, oh, okay, Brady back. It's not a short thing. We're going to win again because what was it? Last season, they won the Super Bowl. Everybody came back. Everybody thought it would be a short thing that they would win. Didn't happen. You know, dudes took pay cuts. Dudes took pay cuts to stay. Didn't wind up winning. 
And now it's like, yo, free agency's hit. It's time for me to get my bag this time. You know, okay, Brady's back. That's a good thing, but I got miles to feed. I got bills to pay. But yeah, I I, I think that O-line is something that they definitely, definitely gonna have to work on. And then if you really think about the NFC, the team that they really got to worry about the most is the same team that they lost to in the playoffs, which was the Rams. We done seen what they done did right now as far as ramping up that defense. They didn't lose anybody, but they damn sure gained Bobby Wagner. So if the Bucs were smart, definitely got to shake up that O-line because that's going to be the key. We all know how to get Brady rattled up. And that's to get him on his ass, make him uncomfortable. Don't have him tap dancing in the pocket, making him comfortable. You got to make a you got to make it very uncomfortable for the GOAT. How are you feeling about Todd Bowles replacing Bruce Arians for next season? I got to salute Bruce Arians because he's one of the coaches that is very, very, very instrumental with having minorities on his staff. And it's kind of like he had this planned out. I mean, he's making it seem like he had it planned from the jump. Oh, when I, you know, when I do decide to hang it up, I want somebody from my staff to take over. But if, if anything, that's what you would want anyway. Obviously, he's not the head of the company, but he, he's the head coach. So I have my staff locked up for a reason, just in case if I was to leave, I can decide who's my successor, as opposed to y'all going out there and bringing somebody else. I like Todd Bowles. I do. I just believe that he didn't get a fair share with the Jets, obviously. And then now he's this, I wouldn't say great defensive coordinator. He's a good defensive coordinator, but now that He's taking the realms as the coach for the Bucks. This is his second chance to, you know, show if he can really hang as a head coach. But we're going to see, though. I like Ty Bozo, though. I do. I would have preferred Ryan Leftwich because he's more in tune with Brady. But I think that's why they didn't do that. I think they want to, you know, give it to Ty Bowles because he already has the experience. But me personally, I would have preferred Leftwich. Well, as long as he doesn't leave Cooper Cup one-on-one with the game on the line, I, I think we'll be good as far as Todd Bowles' next head coaching tenure. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about something they need to fix defensively, though. Their defensive backfield was probably the core weakness of the Buccaneers team last year. And they went out and signed Keanu Neal, who's been back and forth between being a linebacker and a safety, going back to what, when he was signed with Dallas last year. And they also added Logan Ryan. So they try and fix that safety position more than anything. But the corner position was also a point of weakness. How do you think Todd Bowles' uh, defensive backfield is going to look this coming year? Well, to their, no pun intended, to their defense, injuries played a role in what was going on with them last year. Still no excuse because, I mean, at the end of the day, we know how this goes. Next man up. And for the most part, some of the defensive backs, they didn't step up. I mean, I was so looking forward to Sherm playing for them, but obviously injuries kicked his ass and that experiment didn't work. Carlton Davis was out a few games. I believe he just signed an extension as well. Dean was out a few games. Antoine Winfield was out a few games. Like pretty much everybody on that secondary was out multiple games. We now fast forward to this season. We all know why Logan Ryan is there. Like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why he went there. And when I found out he went there, I said, oh, yeah, Brady had his hands on that. He definitely want one of his guys, you know, in that backfield, which is dope, which is dope. I think last year was definitely a lot of growing pains in that secondary. And I'm hoping to God that this upcoming season, they work on that 
I'm not sure if they're going to do the same thing in the draft and, and, and get a defensive back. I'm not sure what they're going to do when it pertains to that. But I know definitely that O-line and that secondary is two key things that they need to work on. They don't need to work on a quarterback because obviously they got that. They don't need to worry about a running game because with Brady, you really never really needed that. And Fournette came back. He's good on that. The receiving core is good. It's the O-line and the secondary. That's it. All right. How are you feeling about the Bucks next season? So they're going to run through the NFC South. So how do they stack up against the Rams and the Packers and the Cowboys and everyone else in the NFC? Okay, I was with you until you said Cowboys. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was with you until you said Cowboys. I mean, me. I mean, me personally. When you say run through the South, they're gonna run through the South as far as Atlanta and Carolina. For some reason or another, these last two seasons, the Saints have given Brady problems, and I believe. And, and listen. I believe in my heart that's still going to happen. I believe in my heart that's still going to happen. I do believe that this upcoming season, instead of them beating us two games, I honestly think this year will be the year that we split the games. I think we'll get one and they'll get one because when it, when, it time, when it's time to play Brady, they show up. Green Bay, honestly, I'm not really too worried about Green Bay as I was years ago because obviously Aaron Rodgers is going to truly, truly understand what it means to not have his go-to guy there because none of them receivers that's there now is Devontae Adams. Maybe he should have been more loyal and made sure his man got his bag instead of him going to Vegas, but that's neither here nor there. The only team I'm concerned with in the NFC is the Rams. Rightfully so, the defending champs, they didn't lose anybody. They gained Bobby Wagner. So trust me, he's going to be coming for blood because he gets to play his former team two times in a season. So that's the only team in the NFC I'm worried about is the Rams. There's nobody else I'm worried about. If you look at the trajectory right now, if I want to give my preliminary preliminary prediction, it's the Bucks and the Rams in the NFC championship game. The question is, is it going to be in Tampa or is it going to be in LA? Four and one for the Saints against Brady and three and oh for the Rams against Brady over the last two years. So that would be an interesting NFC title game. And I don't blame Brady for unretiring because I don't want to lose to Matthew Stafford in my last game. I mean, come on. That, that's just disrespectful to the GOAT. Uh, anyway, Sportsway with Dre Day. Go ahead and give us all the obligatory plugs, man. Where can we find your content? Uh, I'm on all streaming platforms, iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Um, Spotify, Anchor, all platforms except Titan, basically. On social media, you can find me on my Facebook page, Dre Day. You can even like my podcast page, Sportswear with Dre Day Podcast. On Instagram, I have two pages. I have my personal page, Dre Day 1985. The link is in the bio. Sportswear with Dre Day Podcast, the link is in the bio. And on Twitter, Dre Day 1985, the link is in the bio. So those are all the places that, you know, y'all can find me on there. All right, Slump Busters, don't forget about Drake. Make sure to go like his page. You learned with us. You laughed with you us. Laughed with us. Now it's time to do some deep thinking. Hashtag bust the slump with your weekly words of wisdom. I don't think there's such a thing as truly not giving a fuck. And I, I know that that's become a buzzword or a big phrase that people like to use a lot, but I started to like think about it more. And truth be told, we always give a fuck. We, we just choose what we really give a fuck about. In fact, when you say you don't give a fuck, I kind of feel like that's more of a shill. 
that's more something that like we kind of like use to protect ourselves in a way from more negative criticism or things that we don't necessarily want to hear. But whenever it comes to positive affirmation, of course we give a fuck. We're very happy about that. We're very happy to give a fuck whenever something's good. And negative criticism isn't necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it can be a constructive thing. Sometimes it's the negative criticism that you really grow the most from. Uh, criticism can make you stronger. Um, criticism, when used constructively, can be an excellent tool and a wonderful servant for growth. But let it serve. Don't let it be your master. I think that's the difference we need to make. Yeah, I think that for myself, it's taken time to figure out who you allow to affect your emotional stability. You have to be very specific about who you allow to say things that you actually care about, or as you said, a lot to give a fuck about. And so it took time. It took growth and hopefully we're in a place where we can, where at least I can and everyone can do it for themselves, figure out what do you care about? Because it's really good to care about things. It feels really good. Just pick your battles, figure out what you care about and what you don't care about and who you let affect how you feel. Yeah, not everyone in the comment section is, is attacking you. Sometimes they are trying to actually tell you something that may be useful later. It's just separating the wheat from the chaff and kind of like figuring out what can be the best for you to move forward and kind of maybe even change your thoughts or even adapt your thoughts as we move through this process, this infinite game, as you refer to it too. Anyway, guys, well, that's words of wisdom for you this week. Uh, the wisest thing you could do though is hit that like button, hit that subscribe button and comment below your thoughts on the show. Leave a five-star review for us on Apple iTunes. Uh, go ahead and check us out on Instagram at Podcast, on Twitter at SlumpbusterPod, at SlumpbusterPod on TikTok as well if you feel so inclined. From Juju Talk Sports, from Kyle Ledbetter, stay safe, happy, and healthy. And we will see you on the next one.